Good morning, church. Good morning, family. A big welcome to everyone joining us in the house. Those online, I don't know if we were able to connect this morning. As well as those who are here for the first time today, we are so glad to have you with us. And church, a very special welcome today to our guests from Apologetics SA. Amen. Can you just raise your hands there for a minute, Over the past couple of months, the Lord has connected us with Apologetics SA, which is an organization that is doing outstanding work for the kingdom of God and equipping people in many different spheres of society to be effective in their calling and to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I'm privileged to say that we are partnering with Apologetics SA in our school and from 2023, we will be introducing apologetics and the inductive Bible study method into our syllabus as part of the curriculum. This is really exciting news. We will be the only Christian school in the country to be doing this. And we will have the opportunity to pioneer this model for other Christian schools as the Lord leads. And as the Lord leads, perhaps even globally. Yeah. It is our heart that the children who leave our schooling system will not only be well-rounded individuals who are well-prepared academically and socially, IQ and EQ, but that spiritually that they will be ready to enter a world that will do its best to disprove their faith. Yeah. And when they are proved in this way, when they are tested in this way, they will, with confidence and love, be able to make an impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that exciting? And just by the way, in case you're thinking, well, what about us as the church? When it comes to apologetics and a deeper study of the Word of God, we have a number of exciting initiatives that we will be introducing to the church in 2023 of which we will be communicating yes. shortly in the due course. Yes. I thought I would just whet your appetite yes. as <laughs> To John, Suzette, Marika will be joining us next year, and all those who are a part of Apologetics SA, we honor you for the work that you are doing for the sake of kingdom. Yes. And we just thank the Lord for bringing you across our path. Yes. We give God all the glory for this, this God connection, and may He do the unimaginable as we remain faithful and obedient to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us here this morning. Church, are you ready for the word this morning? Yes. That was about half of you. Are you ready for the word this morning? Yes. Amen. Let's pray together and commit this time to the Lord. Father, we come to you this morning in the name that holds everything, everything together. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we settle our hearts before you today, and as we pray, we do not pray out of formality. We pray with intentionality to invite you to speak directly to our hearts and our intellects for the purposes of transformation, restoration, and spiritual growth. We pray, Lord, that what we encounter in your word would be like fresh manna. And that through it, we would have the ability and desire to see you more clearly, follow you more nearly, 
and love you more dearly. Strengthen us and give us hearts, Lord, that are deeply interested in the truths of your word because your word says everything in this life will eventually fade away, but the word of God will endure forever. And I pray that as your church here at Frontline, that we would learn it and love it and gladly share it with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody say Church, it's my privilege to preach God's Word again to you today. And in the few minutes that we spent together this morning, we are going to continue with our series, Revealing Jesus. For those of you who may be here for the first time this morning, this is a series where we are studying the incredible book of Revelation. The word Revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis, and it may not mean what you think it means. It simply means an unveiling or a revealing, right? Hence the title for the series, Revealing Jesus. We've only covered the first 15 verses in chapter 1 thus far, but in those first 15 verses alone, we started to unpack some of the amazing mysteries and truths about our Lord and His second coming, and we've seen the Lord revealed in a magnificent way with so much more to come as we delve further into the book. As I said to you a few weeks back, the more you study the book of Revelation, the more you understand why Satan fights so hard to keep God's people away from it. It was Louis Talbot who said, the devil has turned thousands and thousands of people away from this portion of God's word because he doesn't want anyone to read a book that tells of his boy being cast out of heaven, nor is he anxious of the ultimate triumph of his number one enemy, Jesus Christ. Can I remind you this morning that as Christians we win? And we win because Jesus wins? And because Jesus wins, Satan loses. Now you may not know that if you haven't read all the way through the book of Revelation, but I can tell you that this is a book of blessings. There are seven blessings contained throughout this book, and we will be blessed if we read, if we hear, and if we do what it says. And church, may the Lord prepare us throughout the series so that we would be ready for what He wants to do through us, His church, right? Remember, that's you and me for such a time as this. This morning, we are going to shift gears somewhat because we're going to spend most of our time today and over the next few weeks, looking at the seven letters that Jesus dictates to the seven churches. We're going to go into some very deep portions of Scripture over this next time. But before we do that, and for the sake of completeness, let's look at the last couple of verses in chapter 1, and then I'll set a quick foundation for these letters. Have you got your Bibles open? Yes. yes. Revelation chapter 1, let's go back to verse 12 and read from there. John says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. That's where we left off last time. 
Verse 16 says, He had in his right hand set of stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Now, church, can you just imagine seeing Jesus in this, this glorious way? And just a quick observation here from verse 16. It's not that Jesus is carrying a sword in his teeth. Right? But what it's referring to is the word of God that is going forth from his mouth. Jesus is the personification of the word. He is the word, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. When we get to Revelation chapter 19, and when Jesus sets foot on the earth a second time, it says in verse 15, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, which represents the word, and listen to what it says, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with the rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So John sees Jesus like this in this incredible vision and gives this awesome description of him. And he goes on to say in verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I think we would all do the same thing, right? But listen to what happens. John says, But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Jesus declares himself here to be the risen Lord. And church, listen, this is important because this is what separates Christianity from all other world religions. And I'm not telling you anything new today, but only Christians worship a risen Savior. All other world religions worship a leader who has died and been buried in some form or another. Whether it's Gandhi, Buddha, Muhammad, one of the ancient Egyptian pharaohs, or even the ancestors that are worshipped in our own countries, they are all in graves, they are ashes and dust. Jesus, however, is alive. Because he conquered sin and death. He has the keys of Hades and death. And that's why we can say with confidence, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? That's why we can sing that song, Alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. Alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah, my Jesus is alive forevermore. Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah, my Jesus is alive. My Jesus is alive forevermore. Jesus then says to John in verse 19, Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things that will take place after this. Now church, remember, as I mentioned in the introduction to the series, verse 19 is an outline of the entire book of Revelation. Because Jesus says to John, write, I want you to write the things which you have seen, that's chapter 1. Then I want you to write the things which are, that's the present age in chapters 2 and 3. 
And then I want you to write about the things that will take place after this. That's chapters 4 through 22. Right? This is the outline of the, the book of Revelation. Then he says in the final verse of chapter 1, verse 20, The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand in the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven angels. Still the churches, excuse me. And can you remember what the, the seven lampstands represent? These are the seven different churches that Jesus is going to dictate a letter to, and these churches are represented each by a menorah. Now remember the menorah in ancient times was the only source of light in the temple, and this is therefore representative of how the church needs to be the light in the darkness. This is how the church must be the light set on a hill that we might let the light of the Lord shine and we might reflect Jesus in our culture and in our world. Amen? So that's what the lampstands represent. But what do the seven angels represent? The word angels there in church does not mean as it normally does as these spirit beings that attend to the Lord and that operate in the spirit realm. The word angel there is the Greek word Angelos, which is the same word that is used throughout scripture for angel, which means a servant of the Lord that functions as a messenger. But in the context of these seven letters that are dictated, they don't mean angels in terms of spirit beings that are active in the spirit realm. And I know that may sound a bit confusing, but the word messenger can also refer to a human vessel who is communicating something on behalf of the Lord. Now, without doubt, there are angels in the spirit realm right now, even here, that watch over us and watch over our church. But every time you read at the beginning of a letter through chapters 2 and 3, where it says to the angel of the church, it simply just means messenger. And it refers to a human vessel, which in this context is a pastor. Now, just in case you, you think I'm trying to make this thing up, or I want you to think that I'm an angel, I'm certainly not, by the way. Jesus actually called John the Baptist the, the same word in the Greek in Matthew chapter 11, verse 10. He said, For this is he of whom it is written, referring to John the Baptist, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. That word messenger is the same Greek word angelos, and so yes, it also refers to, to human vessels. And in the context of these letters, that's what it's referring to. The human vessels or the pastors over, over each church. Right? Does that make sense? Now church, when we talk about these letters that, to the seven churches, here's what we need to understand. They were... In the, first of all, excuse me, there are literal churches that were in existence in the first century in what is known today as Turkey. Are we able to pick any of those pictures up on the screen? Not today, okay. Right, I wanted to give you a bit of a map to see where these churches were located. But church, these seven churches were located on the western end of what is known today, or what was known in ancient times as Asia Minor and what is known today as Turkey. Right? And there's a certain presumed route that the, the letter was circulated through to the churches. 
It's a good idea sometimes to have these mental images, and I'll put them up for you next time. Church, an important thing also for us to note as we discuss these churches is yes, they were literal churches that existed in 1st century AD, so they have literal relevance. But they also very much have spiritual relevance in that each church addresses spiritual issues relevant to believers today. Very important for us to understand this. So when the, the Lord commends them for some things and then rebukes them for some things, these are applicable for us today too. Because the spiritual relevance is, what is Jesus saying to the church even today? And we need to wake up and take notice of the things that He commends and the things that He rebukes, because the spiritual application is just as true for you and me in the year 2022. Tell the person next to you, this is for you. And remember, they are talking straight back to you, right? Let me put it to you this way. If you are a Christian that is living in the present age, you need to have an ear to what Jesus is about to say and how it applies to your life. Right? Not to the person next to you, not to the person sitting behind you, but to you. And church, can I say something this morning? It's okay to take a good hard look at yourself sometimes. I'm not talking about looking at yourself in a mirror and thinking, man, I look so fine. Nothing like that. I'm talking about looking deep within yourself. Right? It was A.W. Tozer who said, All things being equal, a Christian will make spiritual progress exactly in proportion to his ability to criticize or critique himself. He also said complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to His people. And this letter that we are about to read to the first church is speaking to the person or to the church that has the courage to speak God's truth, but not the humility that allows God's truth to speak to them. This person is fairly easy to, to spot because as soon as you start challenging them, pride comes up. They're the type of person that knows more than the next person, right? Serves more in the church than the next person does, but they've lost something. They've left something behind. They have left their first love. With that in mind, church, let's go to chapter 2, verse 1. And following to see the letter which is written to the church at Ephesus. To the angel or pastor of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them lies. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, 
Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So, what you have here is a church that is standing for just about everything a church should be standing for. This is a church that did not compromise with evil. This is a church that did not compromise on the truth. And just to give you an idea of who led this church in the correct ways of doctrine, they were taught first by Aquila and Priscilla. They were taught by Apollos. They were taught by Timothy, Tychicus, Paul, and John. Can you imagine we had some of the teachers come and, come and give us some guidance and, and some, some correction from time to time? They were a well-taught church. Their, their theology was so sound that they could literally measure anyone against the truth and expose error. In the words of Peter, they could give a reason to any man who asked for the hope that was in them. You see, particularly in the early church, many evil people came into the <coughs> congregations. Satan was infiltrating these early churches all the time. Judaizers, false teachers were everywhere, and this church took the warning seriously. Because the Apostle Paul actually warned them in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 to 31. He said to them, After my departure, Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing a flock. Also from among yourselves will men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone day and, day and night with tears. Paul was with them for three years and they took his warning very seriously. They exposed and dealt with these satanic influences very decisively. And that's a good thing, right? In particular, they hated the, the Nicolaitans, which was some kind of false sect, some kind of sect promoting false doctrine. Some historians say that they were linked to the worship of, of Baal and were characterized by extreme indulgence, filth, and uncleanness. So I mean that at the church of Ephesus, you just had an amazing group of people. Hardworking, persevering, intolerant of sin, knowledgeable in theology and in truth. And they were able to discern false teachers and true teachers. And they did it all. Look at verse 3. Well, you won't be able to see verse 3, but in your Bibles, it says, persevering, patient, and laboring for my name's sake. Yes, disappointments come. Criticism comes. Rebellion comes. Struggle comes. That's church life. But they never grew weary. And they did it all for, for my name's sake. They did it for Christ. Jesus says they, they did this for me. And I mean, church, isn't that the, the goal that we, we are shooting for? What if Jesus said that about you? Wouldn't you say Amen. So just look at how well versed I am in the Word of God. 
Look at how I'm able to point out false teachers and, and all the ways that I'm, I'm serving in the church. We would say, amen, we've probably given each other high fives. But then we stumble across the next couple of verses where Jesus goes from the commendation to the condemnation, or maybe a better word would be the rebuke. Because he says to them in verses 4 and 5, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else... I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now church, there are two aspects that I want us to look at here. First, our love for Jesus. That's the most important love that we need to cultivate. And from that place, our love or lack thereof for other people. When Jesus says, you have left your first love, what does that mean? It means that burning love that you had for Christ the day that you were delivered from the kingdom of darkness, that burning heart that you had like those on the road to amaze when the scripture and the truth dawned on you, and you saw the significance of his death and resurrection, those early days of hearts on fire, passionate labor, and devotion to Christ. Being consumed with Him and just absolutely adoring Him and loving Him. Those days have been replaced by a kind of dutiful works and doctrinal coldness. That heat of that first love has gone and you've left that behind. You've grown cold. That's what it means if you've, if you've left, left your first love or at least a, a short description there. It reminds me of what the Lord said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2. He sends a message to the nation of Israel and says, listen to what he says. I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago. How you loved me and followed me even through the barren deserts. In those days Israel was a holy people, the first of, of my children. All who harmed them were counted deeply guilty, and great evil fell on anyone who touched them. What a blessed position to be in, right? As a people and as a nation. But Jeremiah goes on to say, you've left that long ago. And this is the message that the Lord gives to the church at Ephesus. The honeymoon is over. Not because I've chosen to, for it to be over, it's because you've chosen to leave your, your first love. Your Christ for love has grown cold and become familiar. And you see, church, this is a very important point that I'm about to mention. The cooling and familiarity of love for Christ is the forerunner of spiritual indifference. And indifference is the forerunner of love for something else. Say it again. The cooling and familiarity of love for Christ is the forerunner of spiritual indifference, and indifference is the forerunner of love for something else. And that means compromise with evil, that means corruption, and that even means the death of your spiritual life. 
That's why Jesus emphasizes the point here. He says, remember therefore, think about the place where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, how do we know if someone's heart or even our own hearts have grown cold towards Jesus? Yes, in the way that I've just explained by growing cold and becoming familiar and turning our attention, affection and love to something else. But we can also identify this in the way that we treat other people. Let me explain what I mean. A person's heart who is not connected to Jesus is a person that loves to talk about the word repentance, but they themselves do not want to repent. They're telling everybody else to repent, but you know what? When it comes to me, I'm fine. But you know what Jesus says? You return. Yeah. Ryan, you return, you repent. Don't always see the fault in someone else's life, but look at yourself, look at your own heart. Right? Look at the log in your own eye before you look at the speck in someone else's eye. Jesus says, return and do the first works. And, and what does he mean by that? Because all these works that he's been speaking about are good works. So what are the first works? You see, church, the works must flow from the right heart. So he's not saying go and do some different works. He's saying return to the first works when your works were governed by a pure and humble heart. It's always an issue of the heart when it comes to Jesus. I mean, didn't we, we discover that as we went through the Sermon on the Mount? It's always an issue of the heart. And here's the point. Outward works must flow from inward love. Otherwise, we become rigid and controlling. We snap at people. And we don't like to be challenged by people anymore. Workers without love are often grumpy and easily irritated. They have a sense of entitlement. They are, even at times, bitter and arrogant. They view themselves as more spiritual and in tune with God because they know more and they've been serving in the church for, for so many years. Workers who have lost their first love have lost their desire to worship God and get intimate with the Lord in church. Why? Because if a person doesn't have intimacy alone with God, they're not going to want intimacy at church either. Church becomes very mechanical for them. But Jesus is saying, Pastor, preacher, teacher, I hear your truth, but it's lacking spiritual life. Or mom, dad, ministry leader, ushering team, worship team, children's church team. I see your works. I know how long you've been serving for. But where's the love and the grace and the humility and the gentleness in your voice? Jesus said that the world will know that you are my disciples by, by how well you know the Greek. <laughs> by how well you can preach and, and quote scripture. By how well you serve in the church and, and how gifted you are. Church, none of that qualifies if you have not done And the love, that, that type of love can only come from a deep, intimate, and devoted, loving relationship 
of the God Himself, with the love of God, the God of loves. Forget about the nation. Right? Can only come from that place. And when works, when work flows, flows from love, we go from bitter to loving, from tired to renewed, angry to, to gentle, boastful to broken. We go from depressed to joyful, and we go from empty to purposeful. Anything else is worse without love. And church, I know this is a strong word today. But you know what? Sometimes blind spots are hard to see. And sometimes it takes a strong word for us to, to really show us where our blind spots are. And like I said earlier, it's okay to take a good hard look at yourself because maybe, just maybe, we are not living what we're preaching. And here's my challenge to all of us today. If Jesus were a guest at our church today, right, we know that He is among us. But if He was here in person, physically, and He had those eyes like a flame of fire, and he could look straight through you and me at the condition of our hearts, would he find a heart that is burning with passion and, des and desire for him? Or would he find a heart that has grown cold and become hard and callous? Listen, church, this applies to all of us. I was really struck by the magnitude of, of Jesus' rebuke this week in this portion of Scripture again. Because to be honest with you, can I be honest with you this morning? Can I be vulnerable with you? At certain times throughout my pastoral ministry, I've become so busy preparing God's Word, doing God's Word, you know, studying His Word day in and day out, preparing His message for His church, that I've missed intimacy with the message giver Himself. You know what I said? It's, a, it's, it's good to take a, a, a good hard look at yourself. You don't always like what you find when you do that. But you know what I love about my Savior? He says to him who overcomes. To him who overcomes. Not to him who is perfect. To him who overcomes. And you may be saying, to him who overcomes what, Jesus? To him who is willing to take a good look at him or herself and see their own pride and arrogance and unwillingness to repent. To them who think they know it all but have lost their first love. To the person who has become mechanical and dutiful in their worship and they just want to rush in and out of church. To the person who can't seem to make time to be alone with God anymore. If he or she is willing to soften their hearts, fall on their knees, repent and return to him with a pure and humble heart, Jesus says, I will declare that person an overcomer. Yeah. You see, to be an overcoming in the world means you need to do more yourself. You need to become better at things yourself. You need to grow up in you know, growing the corporate ladder. But to be a, an overcomer in the kingdom of God, yeah. Jesus says to me, return to me, get on your knees and repent. That's what it means to be an overcomer in the kingdom of God. 
It's realizing where you are. And say, Lord, I can't do this alone. Yeah. I need you. And church, I want to give everyone an opportunity here today. Maybe if you could just dim the lights for us for a few moments. If this message applies to you today, if whatever I've been speaking about church has challenged you, or whatever else the Lord has been highlighting to you throughout the service today, about maybe where you've left your first love, I want to give you an opportunity. You can either come kneel in front of the altar, or you can take a knee wherever you are. If you are physically able, take a knee where you are. And church, take some time to just spend a few moments alone with the Lord. Repent and ask Him to soften that heart that has become so hard and so callous. And ask Him to ignite once again the heart that has grown cold. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first words. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God.